If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Aaron and Matthew Miller. We are getting back in the saddle this time to look at this, well, this seven, a different way altogether. Tonight, we're going to cover the Celestial Seven. Now, with that in mind, boy, we have a whole lot of ground to cover. We've already prefaced the simple fact that uh, the Book of Enoch clearly describes who the seven archangels are, and uh, they are quite plainly represented in the heavens as, well, seven wandering stars or, of course, planets. Uh, the word for wandering star there that you have in the Bible, that is the word for planet in the Greek. That is the root word. So, with that in mind, let's get Aaron right in the saddle. And let's just jump into this topic. Uh, many of you have heard me speak about this many times. Uh, the uh, utilization of celestial somology with the scripture. You've all probably heard me talk about uh, the sign of the restrainer, uh, Ophiuchus, the sign of the strike, Orion. You've heard me talk about many of the different uh, constellations. The, uh, uh, the sign of the dragon, which is Draco, uh, which is going to play a pivotal role uh, for the event when we go back to the days of Noah because Noah's North Pole goes underneath Nordius III or the third knot in the constellation of Draco, the third knot in each tail, once a year. So this, well, creates a perfect window of opportunity for when we get kicked off our axis of 23.4 degrees and go headlong back to the days of Noah, just like Christ said. So with that in mind, Aaron, uh, your opening diatribe, and uh, boy, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, uh, turning this around, relaying the information in a completely new way. So the mic is yours. So um, when we renewed the discussion of... Um, Last night, the last time we ended with the idea that one of the archangels had been fallen and replaced with uh, the archangel Remiel. And um, we see that as uh, 
in the heavens, the first thing when I brought up the idea, you you uh, uh, brought in the idea of the the fallen planet, the scapegoat planet that has been detected in our solar system. Um, so, um, also with the idea of the Grand Tech, um, if any Jupiter's Grand Tech, if any of you know of this, so. Um, we sat down and considered the seven planets and how they might um, correlate with the seven archangels and how um, this whole idea of the Grand Tech could be represented um, within the story of the seven archangels. So um, we, for, for centuries, it has been assumed that the seven archangels um, were associated with with the seven planets even before um, Uranus and Neptune were um, discovered or considered planets um, the sun and moon were considered planets so even even before those two were considered um, there's always been the idea that there were seven in our solar system besides the earth and um, well Though, as I said, the um, the sun and moon had been considered planets, so a lot of a lot of um, the angelologists back in the day who associated the angels with the, these seven planets um, were very confused, and um, so 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 we sat down and tried to associate these angels with the planets various planets um based on evidence um the basic nature of the planets and um the story of the grand tech and um me- metaphorically and um uh, and an angelic and a celestial level if that makes any sense it certainly does, and it didn't take us very long to come to some major, uh, major correlations there. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, we just flat nipped it in the bud. You can plainly see not only their physical characteristics, but uh, we're really going to get into the twin planets. Uh, those two being, uh, well, the Exodus Angel and the Resurrection Angel. But, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started, uh, let us not forget, uh, you know, Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches, point-blank range. Just comes right out and tells you. So, with that in mind, uh, you know, we come to the simple fact that, ladies and gentlemen, you have to come to grips with the simple fact that the fifth planet Nice model screams loudly that there is, in fact, a fifth gas giant. And really, the only thing left for us to do is to detect it. Uh, we've already got everything in play. Come to find out the mathematics state that it's the celestial scapegoat is the reason why that the sun is off the ecliptic by seven or eight degrees. Now, it's somewhere seven to eight degrees, something like that. So you have to realize that they've already plotted out, well, 
if the celestial scapegoat is there, uh, it would cause uh, the sun not only to be out of kilter by that degree, we would also be able to pick up some uh, large asteroids in this particular field. And of course they did. Right where they expected them to be, there they were. So that makes things ratchet up immensely so, and, and I mean immensely so. But uh, many people, uh, well, they they don't understand exactly uh, what is going on. And they don't realize that, well, ladies and gentlemen, we have representations of what the reason why uh, you wouldn't be able to see the celestial scapegoat. Not only that, every one of these planets that we have discovered, they're right on top of their parent stars. And I mean right next to them. Closer than Mercury. So, with that in mind, it, it literally answers all of the questions of what is to come. Why Christ said what he said. Uh, why, prophetically speaking, uh, the beast and the false prophet get thrown headlong into the lake of fire. Oh my goodness, it all makes sense. You all put two and two and two and two and two together and it creates a chain of unbound biblical prophecy. It makes sense. When you have to uh, just come to the realization that NASA's mathematically already worked all these things out. It was just sitting there waiting for the end time to arrive. So with that, Aaron and I started hammering this out. Well, if this be true, the book of Enoch would have left us clues as to which planet goes with which angel. And it didn't take Aaron and I very long. It was basically just sitting there waiting for us to find it. It really was. And it's just amazing some of the things that I ask Aaron about. Well, let's look at the twins because, uh, well, we have two of the angels that seem to be uh, reckoned because they're over spirits. And sure enough, it's, it's right there in the text. Which two of the angels are the twins? And which one of those, of course, would bear a resemblance to the sign of the Son of Man? You look into the heavens, hate to rain on your party, right there it is, and everybody knows it. So, Aaron, back to you. Uh, just exciting stuff, for me at least. Uh, you know, the, the, the expectation of, of well over 20 years waiting for these things to be hammered out, and now it's finally... Uh, coming to pass here on air on Christian Conspiracy Theory. So, Aaron, back to you. Well, I um, I think we should, before we dive into this, we need to describe, we need to talk about the um, the Nice model and the um, Grand Tech and the uh, this uh, fallen planet. Um, I you're the one, you're the one who one who has done all the studies, so I think that you are the one worthy to, um, you know, describe to the audience um, what what all that is about. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this this came as quite a surprise when I first learned of the Grand Tech hypothesis, and this is the hypothesis, ladies and gentlemen, that. Early in the solar system's formation, what actually happened was 
that the planet Jupiter came inbound to the intersolar system and cleaned up all the debris from a, well, they say from the early uh, formation of the solar system. I say the destruction caused by the celestial scapegoat. Now, in conjunction with this, it said that, uh, well, they call this planet migration. And mathematically, it's really already been proven. But Jupiter came in and cleaned up all the debris uh, from some catastrophic occurrence. And cleaning up all the debris, what pulled it back out to its proper place was Saturn. Now, these have always been known, no matter where you go, no matter what uh, mythology you study, it always winds up the same. Jupiter has always been the king star. And Saturn has always been the father star. And it plays out that, well, that's exactly what played out in the heavens. Now, on top of this, this ties into uh, the Nice model. Now, the Nice model, uh, once again, was a theory uh, formulated mathematically to planet migration. And come to find out, the way they solved all the anomalies they kept running into is a simple fact that there was a fifth gas giant, and something happened to it. Now, you can look all of these up uh, on NASA. Um, you can look them up uh, in the news. You can find them all over the news as well. But ladies and gentlemen, this makes uh, Christ's words literally true. Literally. Because if this celestial scapegoat, which I already stated a little bit about it, Mathematically, we know it's there. This is why the Earth is off the ecliptic. It's not – it is tilted. The ecliptic should be right around the equator of the sun, but it's not for some reason. The sun is tilted by seven or eight degrees. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is real. We all know that Christ said that in the end times, you will see the sign of the Son of Man coming. He was literally prophetically stating – Jupiter's going to come inbound again. Now, the problem is, is why can't we see it? Why can't we find it? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have massive examples now of this very thing. Um, for example, we have multiple times seen exoplanets orbiting a star, but the only way we were able to see that was when it transited the star. It went across the face of its own star. And it was revealed that their libidos was pitch black. Like 99% black. It literally absorbed 99% of all uh, well, the, the visible spectrum, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the first of these is exoplanet WASP 10-4b. It absorbs 97% of all the light it receives. Now, what's going to blow you away about this is that it's right on top of its parent star, which is uh, star WASP-104. And, and it just, man, its orbital period is only 1.8 days, ladies and gentlemen. It's right on top of the star. It literally goes in a circle right around it. Now, is this an anomaly? No. Let's go to Trez 2b. This is called the darkest exoplanet. The news labeled this one the Dark Knight. Here you have the same exact thing again. 
it absorbs nearly all the light. It's literally as – look, it's as black as the field of, of black behind the stars. It's pitch. And this planet, again, is right on top of its orbital body. It's just – look. Third time is a charm. Here we have another one. WASP-12b. Same exact thing. Same exact thing. This planet, when it was first discovered, was described in the news as black as asphalt and pitch black. Once again, right on top of its parent star. It, it literally has an orbital period of not even two days. Now, look. This is three exoplanets we found. The only reason why we was able to see them is because they transited their parent star. They come between their parent star and our telescopes. It's the only way you could see them. And they're right on top of their parent. I mean, literally, just going around in circles so close to them, they just whip around it. Orbital periods less than three days, all of them, all three of them. So, ladies and gentlemen, this makes... The Bible come literally true. There's no way you can detect the celestial scapegoat. There's no way. It's literally as black as the night behind the stars. Aaron? So, um, just, just to clear up what you're saying. Um, so, you're saying this planet is still – is it still in our solar system? Prophetically speaking, right now I would say it is in the Kuiper Belt. It is in what we call uh, that place, um, that Oort cloud that surrounds the solar system. It's going to come in from the deep. And ladies and gentlemen, I hate to tell everybody this, but it's a known fact that the Jews were reporting that the years before the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., that the scapegoat would return, and what's even worse, it would return, and the scarlet cord around its neck had not turned white. What do you mean by that? Before then, Aaron, it was always recorded by the rabbis that when the scapegoat would return, there was times that it would, that the cord would be white. So... When they performed the sacrifice for the scapegoat, they would, of course, tie a crimson cord around his neck to represent the sins of Israel. Well, it is recorded, the Jews did record it, that right before the temple was destroyed, it started coming back to the temple mount, and the cord would not be turned white. So they knew that God was not accepting their sacrifices anymore. So, this makes... Now it makes real prophetic sense, and it also makes sense as to what is going to physically happen to the celestial scapegoat when it comes inbound. Literally, you can read the Bible. You know what happens to both the beast and the false prophet. They get cast into the lake of fire. Aaron, it would seem like to me, utilizing celestial somology, putting the two together, the celestial scapegoat is going to come inbound. Of course, the sign of the Son of Man is going to do exactly what Jesus said, come into a 
Earth orbit distance, therefore bending the celestial scapegoat's trajectory, and it will not make it around the sun. It will be thrown headlong into the sun. So now science makes sense as to what the math has already proven, and now it's chillingly, literally true pertaining to Bible prophecy. So now you you have verses just like the one I started this program out, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. It really is just like that. I mean, God came right out and told you that the seven stars are seven angels, that the seven lampstands are the... Ch- uh, literally, this is coming true. Literally. And NASA's already proved it. So this is just a foregone conclusion. So, with that in mind, looking at uh, which angels pertain to which particular planet is really exciting and really mind-blowing when you look at it. So, Aaron, back to you. Well, I, I still think we need to clear up a few things um, before we get there because because before we start talking about these these planets and why these angels are associated with them, we have to know what happened in this grand tech exactly. So you said that this celestial scapegoat um, caused caused the grand tech somehow. Um, if you, if you read about the grand tech, um, what I read. Um, it said that well, the planet Jupiter um, gained too much mass and came towards um, the sun. Um, it probably would have um, crashed into the sun or and just completely destroyed our solar system had not Saturn come and drawn it back, back to its orbit that it is presently today. Um, this event this so um what exactly happened so are you saying that um when jupiter came in um came in after so this jupiter came chasing the celestial scapegoat or am i saying that correctly well let me tie up all those loose ends for you shall i go ahead All right, ladies and gentlemen, let us throttle your faith, shall we? Take a deep breath. This is what caused the flood. You already know this literally. You already know that Azazel fell. He and his cohorts did not marry women. They took them. You know that their Earthborn sons, these celestial entities that were earthborn, is the reason why we were kicked off our axis. It was the reason why we went from a zero degree axis to a 23.4 degree axis that you now endure. This is why we have, well, seasons. It's what causes them. Ladies and gentlemen, literally speaking, what is left of where Miraz was, I would say... His children, utilizing celestial somology, is the asteroid belt. That's where the scapegoat was. The celestial scapegoat. The angel 
of course, fell to earth. What is God telling us prophetically? That this planet come down. It did a grand tech of its own. It came down to an earth orbit, knocking us off our axis, creating all this havoc. In comes Jupiter and pushes it, launches it out of its place. It goes toward the sun and creates a huge elliptical orbit. It swings in close to the sun's pulled back out on the other side by Jupiter and Saturn and is launched into the deep. But eventually, it has to come back just like any comet or anything else. It just now has a comet-like uh, orbit that is highly elliptical. Now, when the Lord, our God, saved us, the father star, Saturn, pulled Jupiter back out to where it is now to equalize because now all this havoc had been done. So literally speaking... Aaron, the celestial scapegoat, was where the asteroid belt is now, and that is what is left of the scapegoat's uh, moons. It's what's left of them. Now, if the scapegoat was still there, you would, of course, liken these to the trans-Jovian objects, which there are many asteroids that inhabit, of course, Jupiter's greater orbit around the sun. These are called trans-Jovian objects. So, with that in mind, this celestial scapegoat has not entered in from the wilderness of the Kuiper Belt since it was cast therein. I note something um, that the that that in the Book of Enoch, uh, chapter ten, the Lord said to Raphael to cast sharp jagged stones to cast in to cast azazel on into a pit that is in um a place called Dudael and um cast sharp jagged stones on his head and he'll never see the light of day again so um is that prophetically stating these sharp jagged stones are the objects in the Kuiper belt okay uh literally speaking uh well <laughs> We're going to get deeper in this. I wasn't expecting to go deeper. Okay. We have no idea. We have no way of determining how it is that these three uh, pitch black planets are, planet, are, are in fact black. We have no way to, to understand what would cause that. Is it high carbon? We don't know. Is there titanium oxide? That would do it. I mean, that would certainly make it to where... All of the light is absorbed. Whatever it is, he was cast into the Kuiper belt, and there in the deep, he started sucking in this frozen debris. And whatever that debris was, is what has turned him pitch. It's what turned it pitch. Remember, Aaron, this is a gas giant. So, we have... Look, we have several ideas. Um, researchers behind uh, a study commented that with uh, more carbon than oxygen, you would get rocks of pure carbon such as diamond or graphite. They have no idea, Aaron. But I'm telling you that since I read the book of Enoch when I was a boy, 
I believed it. That was the difference between me and everybody else. I believed what you saw. And I was shocked whenever uh, these scientists just come out and said, hey, uh, we've got some uh, deep asteroid that they're – I mean more than one. We've got several of them that have picked up an orbit, which is exactly the way it would be if there was a celestial scapegoat there. This is a foregone conclusion, son. I have no idea what turned – well – Mirage, pitch, I don't know, but the book of Enoch just told you it was cast into the deep, and in the deep, being the Kuiper belt, it sucked in things that, well, turned it black and absorbs all the light, so you cannot detect it. Do you understand, son, or should I clarify further? I think that's that's pretty clear. I, I'm just, um, you've talked about this a lot with me, but... I um, um, just wanted to make sure the audience realized, knew all, all what we were talking about before we, before we headed in. So do you think we should start with this, this fallen planet um, and relation to uh, Azazel, or should we leave him for last and um, start with Mercury? I see no reason to give him uh, preeminence. No, no. No, that, that does not set well with me at all. We give honor where it is due. Now, we will explain the seven, and then as a footnote, we're going to have to explain why one of the planets bears the mark of the Son of Man, why two of the gas giants, when the Grand Tech occurred, swapped places, that being Uranus and Neptune. Why did they swap places? So... No, absolutely not. We'll do the scapegoat planet last. Let's do, uh, let's do the well, the seven, that they may not be diminished. All right. So Mercury. Um, this one came pretty quick to me. Um, um, Mercury is the closest planet to the sun. Um, so uh, it has been for centuries. Um, believe that Uriel was the angel of um of the sun. So um I just uh since uh Mercury is closest to the sun, um I guess just assumed that um Uriel must be this angel and as Enoch says, um Enoch chapter twenty verse one, it says that he is the angel over Tartarus, um I guess that would make sense since this is um, – since metaphorically, the sun represents dam eternal damnation as you um, described um, the doom of uh, the celestial scapegoat being – as being cast into the sun. So I guess that would make sense as well. Would you not agree? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, the closer – probably once you – cross that threshold of Venus once you cross Venus's orbit. Mercury is so close that it has virtually the same keel as the sun, so literally speaking, Mercury will probably be used just like the uh, sign of the Son of Man was used the first time. Only this time, uh, Mercury's going to latch onto it, gravitationally speaking, and literally launch it right into the sun. So, I imagine that what's going to happen is Mercury is going to be behind the sun 
right on its event horizon so that as the scapegoat comes in, it locks onto Mercury, which is on the far side of the sun, and literally gets drug in by it. So literally you could be speaking that it is Mercury that in fact locks onto it and cast it, drags it into the sun. You understand? Now, if when this event happens, Mercury's on the closest side or in between the scapegoat and the sun, it would pull it out and rescue it. But because it's on the far side, it drags it into it as its orbit degrades. Closer and closer it gets and is slingshot dead into the lake of fire. Aaron? Right on. Then we'll move on to Venus. Um, Venus is known um, throughout history as the morning and the evening star, but many mythologies have separated the morning from the evening star. Um, in Greek mythology, um, the morning star was called Phosphorus, and the evening star was called Hesperus. Um, so, Phosphorus um, is, well... You may why is it, why it's called the morning and the evening stars because um you at a certain time in the of the year as the sun rises you will see it it's the brightest star it's the first one you'll see in the sky um near to it looks it's near to the sun so it's it's very clear to see um and at another time of the year it's the evening star it just the same, except it happens at evening. Um, so, um, why we I associated this one with Raphael? Why? Because um, there's an alternate name for the morning star, and that is found in um, Isaiah chapter fourteen, verse twelve. Um, it is called Eosphoros. Um, um, Translated in the into the Latin as um, Lucifer, as you may you may know it, um, often translated the morning star. But this word Eosphoros is not the same as phosphorus. So um, this this even though it means the star of the dawn, it they both these two stars were were specifically called the morning stars and um with as you go into Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 we know this is um this um Eosphoros um Halel in Hebrew or Lucifer um is um is Azazel is this um scapegoat uh so this Venus is the arch nemesis of Azazel, and we see that in Enoch chapter 10, um, where it is Raphael whom God sends to bind um, uh, Azazel and uh, cast him into the wilderness. So, um, so that's why, it's, since this um, is the other morning star, um, we can assume that um, Raphael must be this Venus. So, um, but that tells us something else about uh, Azazel being uh, another morning star. Um, uh, 
so I, I guess it must have been uh, brighter at one point. Well, now you have the key, ladies and gentlemen. Where is the asteroid belt, ladies and gentlemen? That's right. It's on the wrong side. Literally, now you have the information as to where the scapegoat was going. The scapegoat intention was was to go from farther out than the Earth to past the Earth in between the Earth and the Sun. If it would have done so, taking up a position between us and Venus, oh yes, it would have been most grandiose. Can you imagine a gas giant between us and the sun? Literally, uh, if you think that a lunar or solar eclipse is awesome, no. The scapegoat would have literally been able to eclipse the sun in its entirety. So now we have the whole tail, lock, stock, and barrel. So this, okay, so was this star, sir, so was this planet, the celestial scapegoat, black before the Grand Tech? No. It, okay, so it only after the Grand Tech and it cast out That's to right. the edge of the solar system, it became right. black. Right. But we, but we see that, but we see in the, but we see in the um, um, other places in the universe. You said the the other black planets were closer than Mercury around the sun. I guess how do you interpret that? Oh well, <laughs> how do I interpret that? That's that's pretty good. Well, son, like I stated, it was not black. When you look at the Book of Enoch, it did not get rocks cast upon its face until it was cast out into the wilderness. Correct? Correct. Okay, so you can just imagine if Jupiter, <laughs> okay, was between us and the sun. Do you not realize how uh, – okay, look at this, son. You know how when the moon is uh, a full moon, you can almost read by the light of just the moon, correct? Yes. How bright do you think a gas giant would be between us and the sun? We've literally almost had – well, you would have trouble sleeping at night, son, if it was – you know, when we go by it once uh, every one of our years, which I, who knows, maybe three or four months out of the year. But if it was tracking with us, it, we have no idea how bright it would make the night. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So literally, uh, a morning star is a gross understatement. There's things just pulling right together, but we better save I, – I feel like we better save that for last. Okay. All right. Well, uh, at any rate, uh, that is the answer uh, to your question. Um, I do not think that it um, – the scapegoat started out as one of the celestial seven. It started out as one of the heavenly seven. So in the beginning, it was not pitch. It was not black. Aaron, back to you. Well, um, the next one on our list is Mars. Um, Mars is uh, always been known as the planet of war. Um, so uh, we um, loosely associated that with um, Ragwell um, in Enoch chapter 20, 
which is uh, the Angel of Vengeance. So um, I guess that was we were pretty quick on that one. Um, so that one would be Raguel. Um, moving on to uh, uh, this is the last of the um, the rock planets. I don't know what they call those. Um, now we move on to the gas giants. Um, and these, the gas giants don't start till after the, um, asteroid belt. Um, and Jupiter is the first of them. And, um, Jupiter, as we, is, has always been called the king star, no matter where you go. Um, the king star representing the son of man, being Christ, who is the king of kings, um, and lord of lords. So we, um... That was the first step that you you took when you um, just taught me the grand tech. You said Jupiter is the sign of the son of man because it is the king's star. Um, so we said – so uh, we actually conversed about this last minute before the show, who – which angel exactly would be over this planet, and the, um, we decided it had to be Gabriel – Gabriel, who has always been the um, the angel announcing the Messiah from the from the book of Daniel, he was announcing the the um, he was describing the visions of Daniel as the um, the prophecy of the coming of Christ, and um, in of course Luke, um, he appears uh, to Zechariah and to Mary. Um, announcing the coming of Christ. So uh, he would be the best representation for um, the Son of Man. Um, and we really looked at this, and um, Daniel chapter 10, verse 5, um, he is called the man in lin clothed in linen. Um, so there we found a peculiar passage in the Talmud, Yoma 77a, um, where it describes the, um, well, the, this man in linen, it uh, equates him with Gabriel, and um, it points us to Ezekiel 10, verse, uh, verses 2 to 6, um, where it describes, uh, where, um, here in the passage it says, um, and, the, uh, and he, the Lord, spoke unto the man clothed in linen and said to him, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill thine hand with the coals of fire between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in my sight. Um, okay, so here this angel, this angel, um, this man clothed in linen is, sent, is told to um, take coals of fire and cast it um, over the city or Israel. Um, and the uh, this story is described in the Talmud, Yoma 77a, where um, it says, The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Michael, Michael, your nation has committed sin. Michael answered him, Lord of the universe, let the good ones among them be considered sufficient. He replied, I shall burn both them and the good ones along with them. And immediately then he spoke unto the man clothed in linen and said, Go in between the wheelwork, 
even under the cherub, and and fill both thine hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim, and dash them against the city. And they went in in my sight. Thereupon the cherubim, the cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubim of fire, that is, between the cherubim, and took thereof the fact that the coals, <clears throat> and placed it into the hand of the man, the man clothed in linen, and he took it and went out. Rabbi ha- Hannah B. Bizna said in the name of Rabbi Simon, Simeon the Pious, were it not for the fact that the coals of the hand of the, in the hand of the cherub became cold in the process of coming into the hands of Gabriel, there would not have been left over from the enemies of Israel. One to remain or one to escape, for it is written, Behold, the man clothed in linen, who had the inkhorn in his side, reported, saying, I have done all thou hast commanded me. Rabbi Jonathan said, In that hour Gabriel was let out behind the curtain, received forty fiery strokes, and he being told, If you had not executed my command at all, you simply would not have executed it. But since you uh, did not execute it, why did you not do as you were commanded? Therefore, don't you know that one who brings no report about mischief? One <clears throat> thereupon the prince, thereupon Dubiel, the guardian angel of the Persians, was brought in and placed in his stead, and he officiated for twenty-one days, as it is written, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty. One days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I was left over there beside the kings of Persia. Twenty-one days in the port of Mash Mahig, and was given to him. So, um, here in this passage, um, just to interpret what happened, Gabriel, um. It says the coals that were in the hands of the of the cherubim um, went cold, and Gabriel, when he went to cast these on the city, it didn't kill everyone. Um, and Michael um, had asked the Lord um, not to kill the good people, and because of this, um, he was replaced with Dubiel, um, the prince of Persia. Um, so here we see. That Gabriel was cast out from his um, office, and um, then eventually, um, in, in this in this passage, um, you um, is all free to look up online. Um, Gabriel is eventually uh, allowed to return up to heaven, um, and uh, Dubiel removed from his place. Um, so. As we know from th- this idea of uh, the Prince of Persia withstanding him twenty um, Gabriel twenty one days is coming from Daniel chapter ten, um, where only Michael came to aid him, and um, this goes on to describe um, which planet Michael would would be. That would be Saturn, the planet of the Father, and as we um, before described Saturn drew or the Saturn or the father planet was the one that drew Jupiter back to its orbit. So um 
in this passage, Michael is drawing Gabriel back up to his former estate. Um, so, I- any commentary on that? No, that that sounds exactly perfect. I mean, um, just to clarify, uh, when we go to uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 5, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. Well, this this exact word here, uh, not just the word itself, the exact word, because it's uh, prefixed with a uh, bet and the whole nine yards. It is literally the same exact word. It is suffixed with the yod mem. So linen garment uh, uh, garments plural. This same exact word is in Acts chapter uh, one verse ten in the Hebrew in, in the Delitz translation, the Delitz New Testament. It says, "And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him." Here, same exact word. That is also the same exact word where that commentary on the Talmud came from. Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 2. Uh, it says, uh, Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, with, which faces the north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen with a writing case at his loins. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Uh, then the glory of God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed in linen at whose loins was a writing case. These right here are all the same word, uh, not only the same word, the same prefix and suffix, same exact, same exact word. So this definitively makes the case, and of course the book of Enoch says what, that uh, – uh, of course, Gabriel is over the cherubim. Uh, those verses that I just read came emphatically out and stated that. Now, we know uh, that NASA determined that during the Grand Tack, what latched a hold of uh, the sign of the Son of Man, Jupiter, and pulled it back out to its proper place, stabilizing all the planet's orbit, was none other than the planet with the black box. Of course, the father star, Saturn. So there is no doubt about it. Of course, that's what Michael's name means, who is like God. There is no consternation. This is how it is. But it's the twins that get rather interesting with, well, not only their descriptions as angels, because these two uh, twins are both over a certain thing, one good, one bad, one negative, one positive, however you want to put it, but then when you peer into the heavens, it gets really interesting. So, Aaron, back to you. Well, the last two are Uranus and Neptune. Um, they are twins, as you um, as you uh, just stated. Um, they are close in size and in color. Um, and um, we, we were discussing who these two would be, and I, I was pretty quick. Um, I believe that they would be... Um, uh, they would be Sariel and Remiel. Um, and uh, there are some pretty intricate things there. Um, we did a show on the Exodus and the Resurrection Angel. Um, so we, were, we decided which one, would be, which one would be which. Well, um, this 
the book of Enoch says that um, Sarah is over the spirits that sin in the spirit. So he is over the evil spirits. Ramiel is the one over the spirits that rise. So he is over the good spirits. So um, that would make very much sense as them being twins. Um, but it gets really interesting on who would be who. Um, I'm going to start with Sariel, as I mentioned in the last broadcast. He would be um, the hornets um, in the Hebrew um, that was sent by God against the Canaanites. Literally, the Exodus angel, the angel that was sent to guide and protect the um, Israelites um, while they were in the, elder, in the wilderness. Um, this uh, this is the um, this would be that angel. This uh, Remiel, who we talked about in another broadcast, would be um, uh, the resurrection angel, um, the angel who is there at the tomb of Christ. Um, he is the angel who has the trumpet that announces the coming of Christ and the rising of the dead. Um, and we noticed something. It all fell into place. Net, which is the planet that bears the mark of Jupiter, the sign of the Son of Man. Which one would, which one would be this, the, the one that bore the, uh, well, literally the stigmata or the the mark of um, Christ's wounds, which planet would bear this? None other than the resurrection angel, and that would point us to Neptune. You look up and find that, well, Jupiter is well known for its red spot. It's, um, it's a giant storm, um, even more massive than our planet. Um, last time I, I heard, it's we could fit an Earth and a half inside of the eye of that storm on Jupiter. Well, there is another planet that um, bears a storm just like it, um, and that is none other than Neptune that bears um, the the dark spot. So, um, any commentary on that? No, that's absolutely off the chart. This is this is absolutely the case. Um, there are two spots in the solar system. One is the great red spot, which is on Jupiter. The other is the great dark spot on Neptune. Uh, there is no consternation about this. Um, and it's just enough to blow you away. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just enough to blow you away when you take a look at it. But uh, please, ladies and gentlemen, you can look up either of these. Uh, they're all over the news. Um, all over NASA. Um, it, well, it's just absolutely off the charts. Um, so this is literally the only planet that, that mimics the Great Red Spot or the Wound of Christ. And if this being the a planet that represents the Resurrection Angel, you have it deadpanned. There's no doubt about it. There's just no doubt about it. So... With that in mind, we also have to realize that the Grand Tech Mathematics stated that the twins swapped places. They swapped places. So, this being the case, boy, that 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 really, uh, well, uh, really has prophetic significance. So, yeah, this is just off the charts when you take a look at these planets 
physically, uh, Aaron, it just makes sense. I mean, you look at them, uh, look at their technical data, and it's just enough to blow you away. There's no doubt in my mind uh, that the list that you have provided is exactly the case. So back to you. Well, this planet, um, uh, this resurrection angel, as, as um, we noted from the Book of Enoch, from the manu- from the manuscripts and the textual evidence, um, he must have replaced this fallen planet. So um, this planet. Literally, I don't know what we want to say. Do we want to say it was brought into our solar system? Or was it developed during the Grand Tech? This planet started forming during that time. Well, I'm going to have to admit this had to be the case. In order to be balanced out, it was a it must have been a rocky planet, uh, probably uh, a large asteroid, I don't know, but it was farther out. And it was brought in and brought up and elevated to an archangel status. It literally uh, developed during the Grand Tack, yes. Now, do I have proof of that? No, I don't, because what does the fifth gas giant Nice model say. It states that Uranus and Neptune were already there. So that tells me it was in the deep and it was brought in from the deep. And it kept going and literally came in closer than Uranus. Okay, so some point in time, um, um, well, I mean the math states what it states. So, can we be definitively sure? I have no idea. I just know what the Bible and the book of Enoch tells me. And this planet was not, I repeat, it was not at planet status before the scapegoat fell. So, what all that means, I'm not quite sure. I just don't know. And just think about it, per, metaphorically, this um, scapegoat planet represents the sins of the Earth. Um, it, the scapegoat comes out of orbit, and um, the Son of Man comes down out of his place, the Grand Tech comes to, towards the Earth, flings the sinful planet to the edge of the solar system. They're that, that is Christ dying and um, dying for our sins and casting our sins away. Then, then Saturn pulls Jupiter back to its former state, to the right hand of the Father. That is Christ resurrecting from the dead, returning to um, his place at the right hand of the Father or his, his place in the solar system. And then this planet, this resurrection angel, appears at the edge of the solar system. So, so much, so much analogy there. It's, it's amazing. 
It's off the charts. It's, look, what we've done is taken what the Bible said prophetically, looked to NASA, and found out that all these things were literally true in the heavens. And not only that, the Lord our God says it's going to happen again. This scapegoat has got an orbit. It is highly elliptical, but it is coming back. And when it does, it will not make a, a tight loop around the backside of the sun. No, it's not. It's going to be cast headlong into the sun. So, that's just enough to blow you away. When you realize, when you step back from the biblical text and realize, wait a minute. Just like Revelation said, there really is seven planets. There really is seven angels. One of the seven angels fell. One of the seven planets fell. <laughs> it should have been farther out than the earth. It wanted to come in between the earth and the sun. It wanted to go closer to the sun than the earth. It was grabbed on uh, by the Savior. The Savior sacrificed himself. God latched on to him and took him to heaven just like, well, I hate to say it, I already mentioned the verse. The first chapter of Acts, check verse 10, that word for linen there, it points you right to Gabriel. <laughs> so, this is not only prophetically true, it's literally true and astronomically true. So it's, it's, it's true with the planets and it's true with the angels. And everything makes sense. Now, we do have some, well, some points that we just don't know. How did the scapegoat turn black? Do we have the technical data? No. NASA cannot determine. We know that there are things that uh, can absorb that much light that would make it black, but we don't know. No way to prove that. Uh, where was it at? Was it where the asteroid belt is now? That's a good spot for it. Is that true? We don't know. What about uh, Neptune? Was it in the beginning not a gas giant? Did it follow Jupiter? Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, what if... What if... The distance that it takes for Jupiter to come all the way inbound to an Earth distance orbit, what if that's exactly how far Neptune was on the other side of Jupiter? So, the distance between the Earth and Jupiter is the same distance that was between Jupiter and the pre-planet Neptune. And when Jupiter came in, Saturn came in to grab on, onto it, and as it was grabbing on to the back of the sign of the Son of Man, Jupiter, it grabbed a hold of this little uh, planetesimal and pulled it in and made it Neptune. We don't know. All we know that the math of the matter dictates Jupiter did have a grand tack. Uh, there was a fifth gas giant per the Nice model. Not only that, we're literally right on top Proving, gravitationally and mathematically speaking, the scapegoat is why the 
sun is off the ecliptic by 7 to 8 degrees. It's why these deep asteroids have these high inclination orbits right where they would be if there was a celestial scapegoat. And now we know why you can't see it. It literally has the libido of pitch. Now look, I'm going to say them again, and you need to look them up. We have three examples of this. Three. We have WASP-104b, TRES-2b, and WASP-12b. Look them up. WASP-12b itself? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's only two million miles away from its store. It's its star. It's only one forty-fourth the Earth's distance from the sun. Did you hear what I said? It's literally one forty-fourth the distance that we are from our sun. Only this is a gas giant. It's right on top of its sun. Oh Lord, have mercy. Look it up. Look it up. You can get these right on NASA website. NASA, uh, the planet exploration uh, part, has a homepage for each of the planets I just mentioned. You can take that to the bank. So, how did this happen? I don't know. I just don't know. I, I do know this. You know, let's talk about the other twin. Why is this stated of him in Exodus chapter 23, verse 21? Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. Now look, what did I just describe? What did the Saturn do during the Grand Tack? What did God do when Christ came here? Of course, you know that uh, when he was baptized, uh, the Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove and said, you know, this is my son with whom I will. Let's just follow this gravitationally speaking. Jupiter comes in to save planet Earth and the rest of the planets to maintain the planets in the solar system. Saturn literally lacks on to Jupiter by the nape of the neck. But what did, Saturn, what did the king star do? Or what did the father star do? Did God grab this star, this planet, pre-Neptune, and at the same time, Bring it in from the deep? I don't know, but it sure makes sense to me. Look, all this makes perfect sense. All of it makes sense. Aaron, your closing comments, please. Well, still seems like we skimmed the surface of the um of this fallen planet. We still got a lot of um a lot of info on that. But we covered a lot here. Um, we just skimmed the surface. We didn't even get to touch. We we um, we landed right about where we did the last show. Well, I would have to agree. And, of course, we're just about the same time frame, too, um, because we are running over in this one, too. But, Aaron, think about it. Um, you know, let's go back to our list. Uh, take note that uh, this other twin, this Exodus angel, this this Cyril, it is over the, well, rebellious spirits, the evil spirits, correct? Of course, what happened to the children of Israel? 
They were doomed in their rebellion because, well, I read you the verse. God warned them, uh, this angel don't have to forgive you. And guess what? They were rebellious. They were stiff-necked. And they, none of them, not a one, entered the promised land. This makes it prophetically true and literally true two different ways. Once with an angel and once with a planet. So, that being the case. This is Christian conspiracy theory unhinged. You take the book of Enoch, you put it with what the Bible says, and oh my goodness, it will literally blow you away. Aaron, close up the program and, well, I think we've said enough this time. Well, God bless you all. It was um, good doing another study with you guys. Um Continue to be reading your Bible with open eyes. Um, definitely look up all, all the stuff that we've been talking about: the Nice model, the Grand Tech, all these planet, these uh, these three dark planets that um, Dad just mentioned, and uh, about this uh, possible eighth planet in our solar system, um, this dark planet, um, which we have not yet seen just skimming the edge of our solar system. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, so God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, we never did talk about the scripture involved therein. Oh my goodness. My son and I ran out of time. We never even got to talk about, well, the 707. Now, isn't that interesting? Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.